Welcome to episode 211 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbeal, and today my special guest is handicapper and owner Clay Sanders. Me and Clay go over three races from this past Saturday at Oakland Park. Those races were 10, 11, and 12. And some angles that we talk about are how important trip handicapping can be to helping you find those 3-to-1 long shots and why short-term trainer trends can also help you find your way to the winner's circle. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. It ain't good for me. Why we do this for? We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have it And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week's edition of Red Bull Rewind. He was just on a couple weeks ago, but obviously with the Triple Crown preps heating up, glad to have my main man Clay Sanders back to talk some Oak Lawn Park. It wasn't raining this time, though, so we kind of had a nice, easy time there. Clay, how are you? I'm doing great, Spencer. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there. Like I said, no rain on this forecast, so maybe not so much a rail as a rail bias that me and you had talked about previously. How was the track run over there this weekend? I'll tell you what, the, uh, the track, uh, you know, like you said, didn't have uh, any moisture in the track. It was really fast. Uh, you know, the workout times on Saturday morning, we had several horses work out. The trainers were telling us how fast fast the track was. And, you know, the, these big triple crown preps, fake stays, the tracks like to have these fast times. So they really had the, the track fast. Starting on Friday, we kind of went back to the Oakland of earlier in the meet. I think we talked a little about being mm-hmm. a little bit more speed favoring than on the historical norms. Um, so you had to be within you know three or four links turning for home on Friday, and I think that you know the same played out for the most part on Saturday. You you wanted to be close. Something we were talking off air about, and just you know. Oh, we're not going to get to that race, but obviously, uh, D. Wayne Lucas wins in the Honey Bee. I think this is just a good little thing to go over with. Uh, I hadn't watched much on Friday, but you had said as well he had won a couple races, and you know, I think being an older handicapper, everyone remembers Lucas of you know the olden age when he was winning at higher percentages. He had all the good horses. Now he's kind of you know in. I always mark him and uh, Zito in the same kind of way. Those five percenters that win, you know, once or twice in a meet that really mess people up on pick five and pick sixes. But he ended up winning a two or three, you said, over the last couple of days leading into that. Then he wins with the maiden. And I, that's why I think it's so important if you're following meets in day in, day out, when lower uh, barns are just starting to you know heat up. If you're not printing out PPs day of, which everyone is trying to get as much time in, so they're printing them off you know days in advance, and you're not watching you know every single day and realizing that still has a big six percent there in in the trainer column. When now they're maybe hitting you know eight or nine, but they also have three wins in two days out of how many runners are these you know lower percentage barns running you know maybe four or five horses so that's a big deal when they're hitting it you know possibly 60 percent over the, over a two-day small sample no you're, you're exactly right i think you have to be uh, paying attention to track trends um lucas certainly isn't a high percentage guy anymore like you said similar to um, nick zito but he's not incompetent and if you see his barn heat up he has good horses a lot of times he's racing them into shape he's not like the new age trainers that you know are managing their win percentage 
So he, you know, sometimes it may take him three or four times to break their maiden, but you definitely have to be paying attention to when, when barns heat up. And look, I'll be the first. He, he, he beat me in the honeybee, which caused me to not have a huge day because I was right everywhere else. Uh, but he did uh, serve notice. He had a big win on Friday that beat me uh, in a, an allowance race and then two uh, winners early on the card. So when you see a trainer, you know, like, like Lucas start winning some races, they can come in bunches. And even though you don't necessarily like the horse on the form, if it's a race that you're spreading out, I definitely think you should uh, include. I know you had said that a couple of people would also spread with that horse. It, it's so hard for me because obviously we're just such a fickle bunch being horse players. I feel like even when someone tells me the reason that they had it and I should like add it to my notes or, you know, try and incorporate that in my process. Uh, a lot of people's processes are just kind of like they're finite. They're in stone. You you know how you want to handicap a race. Once you start adding, you know, these little extra bits and bobs to it, like, you know, I'm looking through class. And I'm going to add two extra steps because, you know, a one horse beats you one day out of the year. That's where you can kind of get the analysis by paralysis. Did they kind of give you any idea on why they had the horse kind of circle? Was it more just, you know, they had a little bit of extra money to add the ticket or was there something else that they saw on the horse? Well, I think that that honeybee was a race that it, it, you put them all in a hat, you could have pulled them out. There was not a big mm-hmm. differentiating factor in the speed figures. It's, you know, so far these Phillies haven't really uh, distinguished themselves. The, you had a McPeak in there that won the, the the prep, but was with the track. So that was a horse that wasn't on any of what I would consider, you know, trip handicappers tickets. Uh, the big favorite from Brad Cox was not very fast. I think she had an 83 buyer. So, you know, there were several horses that, you know, with any kind of improvement could get there at what much bigger prices. And the, the Lucas horse was against last time. Now she was a maiden. It's a big step up, but she was not a filly that was impossible to get to. Um, unfortunately I just didn't use. And I, I feel as well when people, you know, when you're breaking down tickets, me and you have talked about this before in the past as well, everyone goes race by race and they just try and find all the horses they can use. But as soon as they get to like, you know, Oh, it's going to be a hundred dollar ticket. And if they're in the third race of the sequence of let's say it's, you know, a pick four or a pick five, and they all of a sudden realize they're going to hit that threshold. They almost go back and they start chopping horses off from earlier legs to make room for spots in the later legs. And that kind of just tells me at that point, okay, I should either downgrade the sequence and play doubles or pick threes, or I should just pass the sequence altogether because if I'm playing four horses in every race, I'm kind of like playing the lottery at that point. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, you got to find somewhere to push your chips all in and have an opinion. I typically tell people if they don't um, have a single in the first leg of a pick five, or playing against a couple, uh, you know, chalks and you can spread. But I really think if you if you don't have a major opinion in the first leg, you just go to the next race and, uh, you know, move on. Because, you know, spreading in the first leg, you know, I, I just don't think that's a recipe for success long run. I think as well, just for me being more of the Naira guy at Saratoga with, you know, uh, Chad Brown horses, there's so many legs where it's a, it's a, a – you know, Chad Brown's got two in there and it's a turf stake race or whatever. Nine times out of 10, they're, those horses are so covered in, you know, I'm going to call them the casual fan and obviously the, the hardcore handicappers. You either have to just take none of them and hope you're right. And obviously when Chad's on, he's hitting, you know, 30%, you know, he's still wrong yeah. seven out of 10 races. But when he's got four or five in there, it just gets to be so, so, so hard and convoluting. But I, I see people all the time and I, I'm more of one that, as you're building a bankroll up, 
you know, when we talk about, you know, the Rainbow Pick Sixes and all that, the, all these other tracks, you know, I'd rather hit a couple of those for a couple thousand than trying to hit for 50K, which I know obviously everyone else is trying to do. And for me, when I'm trying to look at a ticket, if it's a favorite like that, nine times out of 10, I'm passing the leg or passing the sequence. So I, I can't agree more with you there where if you don't, if you don't play chalk in the first leg, because everyone, I think this is a key concept that a lot of people don't talk about in gambling in general. No one wants to lose the first one. So they're just going to play seven horses in the first leg, whether they think the even my chalk's going to win or they're, you know, their great grandma's favorite number is on the 30 to one shot. They just want to get through that leg. And then it's almost like now the real handicapping starts. And that's not true at all. No, you're, you're right. I mean, and I do that on occasion. If I, you know, sometimes I'll have a group of people that want me to sure. put a pick five together and you, you know, I would be like, I would never do this on my own ticket, but you don't want everyone chips in 20, 40 bucks. And then they're out the first race and they got no entertainment. <laughs> yeah. So I think the average handicapper will spread in those first races just to get something out of it. And, you know, look, I get it. And sometimes when I'm live at the track and I I did this, I was live at Oakland on Saturday, I'm a little spreadier because, you know, I just want the entertainment value. Mm -hmm. But if you're sitting there on on the weekend, you're at home and you're trying to, you know, grind out a profit, you have to, you know, you know, selectively take your swings and, you know, spreading the first load is just not a good strategy. I think one of the best things ever, and this is something that kind of my dad taught me that I just kind of lived through is if I'm going up on a, on a Saturday for Saratoga, I'd always have my iPad or I'd make sure that I would have printed out Sunday's PPs as well. And then if I don't like a leg, it's time to go buy a beer, get food or start handicapping for tomorrow. And that way, yeah, the entertainment's not there so much, but at least I'm doing something that's constructive that, Oh, if I'm handicapping for Sunday, then at least when I get home, I can be more, you know, I can do something fun, whether it's, you know, gaming with friends or whatever. Whereas I think a lot of people, it's just like, oh, I don't have money on this. Uh, What's what's Chad Brown? Cool. Okay, let's go. And then it's just not kind of constructive. But let's move on to the first of our three races. We're kind of going to do a little late pick three here from Saturday at Oakland Park. We're going to start with race number 10 is the grade three Razorback handicap. One on one sixteenth miles on the dirt. And I know two horses that I had kind of looked at real quickly. Magic Tap, the Steve Asmussen. I just, this horse ran a 68 sprinting at Keeneland and then decided I'm just going to run nineties for the rest of my career now. And what is, you know, started with a 92 and got all the way up to a 96 winning an allowance race back at Saratoga last year, ran in the PA Derby, didn't hit the board. I just, this horse is not improving. Now it's four. You like to see improvement from horses, even from three to four. The other one I come up with was actually, and it's one of my favorite uh, jockeys, Julian Leperu, Juan Alvarado. The thing that stuck out here is they're shipping from Gulfstream. And I understand that like there's higher purses and everyone wants to find these races at Oklahoma where they can run in. But this just to me, I don't know why alarm bells went off in the back of my head. Went from a 92 in the Harlands, then ran the state bread race. Now just finds this nice little grade three at Oakland and they're shipping in for. I just, this horse improved from race to race. Coming off the layoff, now we're third off the layoff, which should be the best race. This one likes to win, seven wins and 17 starts. It's not one of these horses that has three wins in 19 seconds. Uh, Octane, for me, was my pick. I just thought this one, not, not so much standing out above everyone else, but, you know, ain't life grand coming off a layoff with an 0 for 16 trainer. Okay, prove it to me before I play you. I'm not going to take short price horses like this. No one else really screamed out at me. Seize the night was you have to go all the way back to September to find a 
race that wasn't either a pace, a weird paced race or just in the mud or on the turf. So a lot of these horses were doing something for the first time again in a long time. Octane, I just thought, was this was a shrewd trainer move to come in here for a grade three with a horse in great form. Yeah, so uh, this uh, race was really impacted by scratches. Yeah. Um, the one season I uh, scratched, the three, or excuse me, the four, Ain't Life Grand, and the six, Midnight Rising. I was actually on um, the In the Money Plus with Pete and mm-hmm. analyzed this race. When I first looked at it, it appeared to have a ton of pace with this 13-horse uh, field. Um, but the scratches really changed the complexion for me. Um, year five octane. When I, when I first went, I was a little skeptical of this horse. Um, I just thought it would get kind of caught up in a really hot pace, but the, you know, the pace changed quite a bit. So I warmed up to this horse a little bit. Um, all the points that you uh, brought out, I was against magic tap. That was probably my main opinion in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, Nothing I can really nitpick in the form, but they were betting that because of the scratches of the of the two top choices. I think uh, the crowd really didn't know where to go. They see an Asmussen um, at one last race that looks like a horse that's going to you know make the step from uh, allowance races to uh, stakes races. You get Tyler on board. Uh, they paid four fifty for this horse, so I think you know early it was four to five, and they drifted up to six to five. The horse made all kinds of sense, but at that price, a horse I was really wanting to take a shot against. Um, so I landed on your five, and I also used, I thought, the seven U.S. Army. He was with last time, but I just thought might uh, be interesting up close. Um, you know, like I said earlier, you wanted to be close uh, to the front. So really, that really took out escape all just from uh, McPeak. Um, I thought notary was interesting. Um, so in my pick three, I used, uh, the five, uh, octane, uh, seven U S army and 11 notary. Um, uh, I didn't really have a strong opinion. I didn't play a win bet, but just cause I got knocked out by Lucas in the pick five, I came mm-hmm. back with a pick three and I used those three. Octane, U S army notary getting this late pick three started off for clay. I'm just trying to get on the win end with octane. Here in the grade three Razorback, let's see who gets it done right now. In the Razorback handicap, Promise Keeper broke alertly. Octane a little bit quicker out of there, though. Promise Keeper aggressively ridden by Harry Hernandez. Octane and Julian Leperu hold the inside spot. Now take back as they approach the turn here. Promise Keeper getting to the rail. Had to use some energy to get to the front and clear off. He does so. Now slows the pace down. Promise Keeper, the pacemaker, three quarters of a length. Octane moving to the two path now to press the issue. The Gray Magic Tap is third with Notary, the six-year-old. He's Four lengths behind a joint third swinging up the back stretch. A length in front of Frosted Departure. Speed Bias is next. OP Firecracker in midfield in the pink colors. U.S. Army now racing alongside of Bolsey, and they're about 10 or 11 ahead of Escapeologist, who's well behind as they make their way down the back stretch. Promise Keeper went 23 and one-fifth seconds for the first quarter mile. He's in charge and opens up that lead to a length and a half. The half went in 47 and one. So an honest pace here set by the fifth season stakes winner, 
Center, Promise Keeper, who hits the forward turn, two ahead, Octane running in second. Notary getting closer in third. There he goes. He's producing a move. And Notary is let loose on the outside without being asked to. He's going well, Notary. Octane moves alongside of him. And now Promise Keeper has been swallowed up. He's done. Octane, Notary side by side. And Notary has the head lead. Notary off the turn, trying to put away Octane as they come down the lane. OP Firecracker at a big numbers running well today. Notary has asked for his best. Octane determined on the inside. Notary drifts to the center of the track. Octane, the Florida shipper's almost there. He's in front. Magic Tap diving after him in the second, but it's Octane. Octane, Juliet Leperu. And it is Octane who gets the job done. 97, the winning buyer. $13, the winning mutual. Nice start for both of us. And I think overall, I always look at this too when I'm going back and looking through races. Sometimes you just want to see what the winner paid and then see how competitive the field was. And it would kind of feel weird if a horse under $10 didn't win this race. And yes, obviously the public at the end of the day has to pick one. And like you had said, you know, Juan Alvarado or Steve Asmussen, which one's more well-known? We both know the answer to that. And uh, we start this off with, you know, what is it? The third, third choice on the board. So a nice little start for us here. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, horse ran great, uh, you know, kind of just up close and, uh, you know, no one them really, really made a move on the horse. Um, and, you know, the horse came up from Florida was second in the state bred race. So maybe people were discounting that, but, you know, had, I believe the best last race buyer, um, you know, horse made a lot of sense at a really fair price. I think too. And just as you look, you know, notary, listen, I mean, at nine to one, you're probably going to hit the board more often than you win. So, to me, it's I've always talked to newer handicappers and people will be upset when they run second with a 20 to one shot. And I'm like, I'd rather you handicap that horse second than pick a horse that pays, you know, 220 to win, because at least then you're you're thinking on a different outlook than what the public is. Like everyone can pick a four to five favorite to win. But when you can find these 20 to one shots that are not second, third or fourth pick to run second. And I think that's a huge misconception, too, just from betting in general. Everyone thinks, oh, the win odds are what, you know make all the other decisions. And a lot of times the second best horse in the wind bed is not the horse that's going to run second. And I think a lot of people forget that when they see that deep closer come around the corner and all of a sudden we have horses, you know, you know, 10 plus to one running second. No, I think you're right. I think that's a good lesson right there. Let's move on to the next race of our podcast. That being the one everyone was there for that day, the grade two rebel race number 11, one and one miles on the dirt. Listen, Timberlake's going to Timberlake this horse six to five on the morning line. 93 buyers the last two times. Now we have the layoff. We know this one can handle a wet track. It wasn't that day, but we also know this one can handle, you know, a mile and 16. I, I just, I didn't want to take these type of horses in these preps. I feel like a little bit of last year and into this year, I've, I've talked about it with enough people, these horses coming out of the Breeders' Cup, they haven't raced since. This is not the final end goal. They're still going to pay under $4. If I can beat two or three of them every year, I'm going to be net positive. So I went to the outside. I I, I thought, okay, listen, D. Wayne Lucas is having himself a weekend. Let's see if we can get done here with a horse, again, in excellent form, coming off a muddy race in the Southwest. Was a little bit pace-aided. But I just thought at 7-2, to two, if I don't like the overwhelming favorite here, that's the only other one that's even run within, you know, a couple street lengths of, you know, where we're seeing Timberlake at. And if Timberlake doesn't fire its best shot, let me try here with uh, just steel. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm with you there. Um, 
looking at this race, I mean, it all is going to center on Timberlake. He was going to be the overwhelming favorite. Um, I'm not sure what he went off at three or four to five, but you know, he, he just laid over this field, but you know, these are the type of horses you want to try to beat in the long run. Um, coming off a layoff, we saw what happened with uh, the Breeders' Cup winner at one to five in the uh, race down at Gulfstream. But the, the problem was when you look at this race, you're just you were asking these horses to make miraculous improvements to um, to beat this horse, even if he backed up. Um, you know, I, I couldn't get interested at the win and the win bet. And to be honest, Brad Cox's barn has been ice cold. He's about 10% the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about, uh, you know, hitting at 10% when they're betting him at like a 50% trainer. I mean, all the sources are over bet. So it's the horse I wanted to bet against. But then, like I said, you go through and you really can't find anybody to use. I mean, just steal. I mean, he keeps slowly edging forward. I hated his outside post. But last race he was against, so I gave him a little bit of a extra credit there and like you said lucas was you know hot as a firecracker so i landed there too uh in my pick um I, you know i basically just said i think there's only two hor two horses that can win the race i really was against timberlake but you know he's the only other one besides just steel so if just steel can get it done uh you know I, I need timberlake so i went too deep which i normally wouldn't advise in a, in a pick three but i was there live so that's what i did I think too as well, and this is something for someone who has plenty of time and a nice database. It'd be interesting knowing Brad Cox because he's ten percent, you know, like you said over the last two weeks. I'd love to see someone break down a trainer or even a jockey like Irad when he's just getting bet off the board on how much money they take based on their morning line. And obviously, Eric going to do in the morning line at New York. I know he's one of the you know better morning line makers. Maybe that would be the way to go, and just see like. Based off of if they do, you know, 20 or so, you know, mounts for that week, how much, you know, vigor edge they give towards, you know, are they going from, you know, three to one to five to two? Like if it's a whole point in the odds board, every time he just jumps on a horse, that to me is just absolutely crazy. And I, th I think it's great that, you know, that you have these stats now where you can break down a trainer for two weeks and realize, oh, he's hitting at 30 for the year. And now he's at 6%. I need to kind of, you know, yes, take in the long-term effect, but know that they're going to bet him like the long-term effect and take that short-term idea. And that can kind of help me realize I'm still going to get beat by a couple of his four to fives, but probably less than usual. I can use that to my advantage. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, he's in a 10%, he can certainly win, but you got to pay attention to the short-term trends. You know, they can have like a sickness go through the, the barn, whatever kind of turmoil barns go through, hot and cold spells for whatever reason. Um, so I just think you got to pay attention. Um, I, I've made a lot of money recently betting against these Brad Cox horses. He's one of my good friends, but when I see a trainer go cold and they're <laughs> three to five, four to five, I'll bet against them. I bet against my own horses all the time. So, I mean, I'm not afraid to. But, you know, this was the situation, though, just on the class and talent. I mean, you know, he still made a lot of sense here. For myself, it's just steel. For Clay, it's just steel and Timberlake. Let's see who gets it done in the Rebel and gets these Derby points right now.
Vleroff in the Rebel Stakes of 2024. From the far outside, Woodcourt put into play early. Carbone up on the pace. Northern Flame has natural speed as well. Carbone, the pacemaker from Northern Flame. And Woodcourt, who's three wide, charging into the turn. The favorite, Timberlake, placed in a perfect position by Christian Torres. Right off the speed stocking today, he's racing alongside of Lagados and Mina, who's down on the inside. Combat defense, four lengths behind in midfield. A length and a half to Jess Steele on a hold. Dymatic alongside of him. Tejone Pass is third last. The length clear of Magic Grant in a space of four to next level, who's at the back of the pack. They're down the back stretch, and Carbone is paving the way. One of three runners trained by Steve Aspison in this race. Carbone about a length in front. Northern Flame backs off just a little bit in second. Woodcourt is three deep. Common defense down on the inside. He's two lengths off the pace. A length to Timberlake. He's now fifth with Mina. Dymatic, Lagados, Jess Steele. Those three line up. There's seven from the top into the far turn run a gap of two to magic grant passing to home pass who's dropping back and the trailer is still next level well behind as they round the far turn carbone three furlongs to go a half length in front here northern flame turning up the pressure woodcourt is three wide there goes timberlake and the wind star white he's caught about four wide off the turn just steel going to be deep at the top of the lane he's five wide off the turn and common defense trying to slip through down at the rail he's going to find the narrowest of openings timberlake on the outside roars to the front common defense trying to pull off the upset and northern flame timberlake drifting to the center of the track but he's clear coming on common defense but timberlake's gonna do it and timberlake and christian torres win the rebel and is timberlake getting the job done three dollars 60 cent the winning mutual 93 the winning buyer so this horse is just gonna keep running those low low 90s it seems just steel kind of runs up the board and, and you know what? J just having Timberlake finish here at four to five, if you're betting overseas and you can, you know, play those fixed odds, this is the type of horse maybe where if I was getting even money or six to five, this would be like the one spot where I'm okay playing this type. I know I said I don't like to, but if you're going to get six to five and not three to five, that's a big difference there. Oh, it's a huge difference. I mean, you know, this horse, you know, I hated four to five, but like if I could have gotten nine to five, you know, I'm, you know, taking out a mortgage to bet. You know, yeah. The price is such it's such a huge driver, but uh, coming out of this race, you mentioned uh, Just Steel up the track. I think he's the one you probably want out of this. You know, these Lucas horses can hold. You know, get better with races. And he was in a parking lot in the first turn. It was wide again the second turn. He had a no shot trip. And Timberlake, I mean, he drifted in the lane. A horse and into mischief. I was really skeptical of him getting along. This is a horse I really want to bet against next time. Maybe he can still win on talent. We'll see who shows up in the Arkansas Derby or the Bluegrass, but he'll be one uh, when, the, as they stretch out, I will continue to be betting against. He's, to me, not getting better. Um, he's kind of like stuck on the 93 buyer. Uh, he's going to have the name recognition, the horse that I want to bet against going forward. I, I think too. And, and for me, the Arkansas Derby being next, if you look at the odds board, 27 to one runs second, 15 to one runs third, 44 to one runs fourth. Then you have that nice little mid gap, you know, nine to one, five to one, four to one. Yes. We just talked about just still having a, a no win trip, but the nine to one and five to one middle tier shots here. Can't get up for a piece of the board either. I wonder if this race was, everyone's going to say, Oh, cause the longer shots ran, ran better that this might be a weaker race. I just wonder if maybe in general, Oakland might not be the year this year where we're looking for the horse, you know, obviously back when Baffert was, you know, 
ruling the roost. Yeah. You know, every single horse that came out of there, everyone couldn't wait to bet the Oakland horse in the Derby. I wonder if this is going to be one of these years where it just, if you look over the preps, it's just going to be a bunch of weird horses that are hitting the board and gaining points, and they're all going to run, you know, 10th and 19th in the Derby. I think he could be right. I mean, Mystic Dan owning the Southwest. I don't want any part of that horse. He was with the biggest rail bias I've ever seen. We'll see how he uh, runs coming back in the Arkansas Derby, but uh, he'll be a horse that will be on any of my tickets. And, you know, Timberlake obviously has some talent, but, you know, he doesn't appear to be a horse that wants to go any further. So uh, we'll see who shows up for Arkansas Derby. And it's going to have to be somebody different for me to be supporting him as they move forward on to Kentucky. Timberlake to me, I think just feels like a horse that I'm not going to bet now, but like we'll bet and like it'll, he'll come back and pop up in a race like the Clark and he'll just win that race. And I'll be like, Oh yeah, I remember this horse. And he's going to pay like $9 and it's going to make all the sense in the world when this horse didn't win anything since this race. But that's kind of thoughts for later on in the year. Let's move on to the last race of the pod. The last race on the card, race number 12 from Oakland park. One on one sixteenth miles. This is a maiden special weight. And for me, and we talked about this off air as well, being a buyer guy, crushed it even money. Again, Brad Cox, like you had said, not not the warmest on uh on the uh hot barn train, but I just who else has even run close to this horse? And just looking through and I see give me a reason being the only other horse to you know that people are trying to bet. And I am very much disproportionate when I'm looking at buyer speed figures when I see horses go backwards. I always want to see them improve. He had a fast pace last time, yes, but he kind of got bet the same way, 4-1, to 3-1. to one. Give me a reason is the type of horse where I'm kind of up against, you know, I'm up against an overwhelming buyer horse that we know everyone's going to jump on, but give me a reason is the type of form analysis that I just don't like either. So if I could have got even money on this crushed it horse, I was going to uh, obviously play on the win end. I had just obviously missed out on my pick three, but I thought crushed it was kind of just going to – uh, walk the dog here and just kind of win this easy. So I was against crushed it. Um, I didn't, you know, it seemed like a horse that had the opportunities twice. Those buyers were really big, but um, I just didn't think he would uh, get any better with his next start. The barn's cold and was going to be an overwhelming favorite based off uh, people looking at those buyers. So this is a horse I eliminated, but so then I had to figure out well, where do you go to close out this, uh, pick three um i kind of looked at these inside horses um i thought give me a reason i mean i, I don't i'm not going to quibble with what you said um but you know those races where it's a two-year-old now we're coming back at three getting lasix this horse sold for five hundred thousand dollars had quite a two siblings i think that are stakes winners um so i definitely was going to use getting gaffleon uh, I thought Cherie sending this horse up from Goldstream showed intent and uncle mo did not do much running on debut but I thought that horse figured. But the, the interesting horse was this uh, number four, we'll take it. Um, this horse was a $700,000 purchase. Uh, the Willis Horton loves that uh, we'll take charge uh, family. Uh, he's had a lot of uh, success with this horse. Um, and his first, you have to go back and watch these replays. This horse had terrible trips. Its first two starts was against last time and basically blew the first turn. And at Oakland, if you're wide, you basically have no chance. But I would encourage um, if you really want to listen to somebody really analyze a trip on a horse uh, in the pick five preview that David Aragona that uh, you mentioned earlier, Spencer, he did a great job analyzing this horse's trips. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think David's one of the great greatest uh, trip handicappers 
it's at the 57 minute mark of that video, but he really lays out why this horse made a ton of sense. I hope I would have gotten been able to get to this without listening to David. But, um, <laughs> after, after hearing him, I mean, it was a no brainer to include. So I love that. The uh, love this uh, horse right here. We'll take it kind of the, uh, the main area of expertise here on this uh, late pick three. Then also give me a reason for clay. I just went with, I was going to go with just this little good old uh, chalky horse here. Ended up going off under even money. So for me, it ended up being a pass on the race, which makes me feel a little bit better. Well, let's see who gets it done in the nightcap. Let's see if Clay can get his pick three through right now. Laroff in the finale. Charleston out there alertly, but is going to take back. Here's the first time starter Code Ward up on the pace. Sicilian defense from the inside. Give me a reason striding with him into the turn. Sicilian defense. Give me a reason. One, two. Code Ward sets up shop third. Yell County is four deep trying to tuck over around that turn. We'll take it joining Sitka. They're together. They're only two lengths off the pace and there's crushed it. The favorite park three wide out of harm's way. Another two lengths back to Charleston. God's country. The Arkansas bread is next. A bit keen here. Approaching the backstretch run. Got to have dreams alongside of him. Thousand Springs, PJ's song. Those two share the back marker's spot. So they're down the back stretch in the nightcap on Rebel Stakes Day 2024. Give me a reason and Tyler Gaffleone emerged from the crowd. A half length in front. Code word second. Yell County is advanced position. He's third three wide. Then comes Will Take It back in a pocket fourth into the turn. A length and a half to Sitka. Crushed it is outside of him. Then got to have dreams into the forward turn run. Sicilian to Defense in the meantime, he's called it a day. Charleston tries to make a move. He's six lengths behind, but under a ride, PJ's song needs to do more. Thousand Springs, God's Country are next as they come to the top of the stretch here. Give me a reason. Sent along to keep pace. He's still in front. There goes Crushed It. Crushed It is asked for his best, and he just blew past the leaders. Crushed It on the outside to the front. Will Take It is coming on between horses, and Crushed It very green now. Starting to get leg weary, and Crushed It is dropping back he's beaten we'll take it at 42 to 1 trying to spring the upset give me a reason fighting hard though give me a reason we'll take it a slugfest to end rebel day and it goes to oh it's a photo and give me a reason gets it done 78 the winning buyer 880 the winning mutual but uh, clay i don't know what's worse when you when you end up hitting and then you also realize you could have hit for way more when a horse gets is ahead in deep stretch and just gets bobbed out. Oh, it was brutal. My pick three paid seven eighty. Uh, my ten dollar pick three paid seven eighty to the the winner and seventy five hundred to <laughs> the four. I mean, I don't know how that horse lost. Looked like uh, he would. I just don't, I guess give me a reason. Rally's back on him, but I mean, looked like he was going by the the whole mid stretch and even got a bad bob. But uh, it was a heartbreaker. And this is the kind of thing too where uh I, I don't think pete coined it but he always says you know if you're late to the late to the wedding don't go to the funeral i feel like the funeral will be next time where we're not going to get 42 to one we're probably not going to get eight to one this horse will probably be a very solid price you know in the three to four to one range which some people will take a ten ten dollar horse but it's it's, it's kind of gross when you miss out on 42 to one and then you're like wow this 11 dollar mutual ticket's really good looking yeah, and maybe this horse has a personality flaw similar to Crusty, who didn't run well. When when you look like you're a winner and don't get it done, I mean, maybe you're just a horse that uh, doesn't you know like to win and you know a herd animal. So um, you're right. This probably isn't a horse you're going to want to bet back out of this race. 
the only other horse I thought was kind of interesting that I didn't talk about in the in the pre-ramble, I thought Charleston was kind of interesting. 15 to 1, Banjo, William Fires. I, this one oh. ran for 68, gets out of the Cox Barn, runs terrible in the in the next race in, in a maiden special weight, then runs in the Southwest. Doesn't still runs terrible, but obviously gets that buyer figure back up. This horse is running now 360s. I, I, I just for me, now this horse runs third. I think we're not we're at some point they're going to find the right field for this one to, to win a race, not a lifetime maiden, but I think seeing the horse in the Southwest and a lot of people are like, why are you putting maidens in the Southwest? And it's, you know, there must be, you know, some type of trainer intent. I, I think this one is not as bad as it looks. I think obviously finishing third now at 15 to one stake race. Now we're seeing 15 to one to maiden special weight. I just wonder if this one is going to win sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting horse. Uh, I, I gave him a, a solid look uh, when I handicapped this race, but uh, Jinx Fires was ice cold, and I kind of worried a little bit about uh, being further uh, out. Uh, I wanted some of the more inside horses, but, you know, he ran a really credible race, and uh, if he shows back up in the right spot, and I'd really like to see him, like, in a maiden 50 mm-hmm. or a maiden 75, I mean, I think he would be really, really competitive there. But uh, I could even get it down at the maiden special weight level. And I think you brought up a great point. Definitely probably a claimer more than than a maiden special weight. I think to the fact that you said, look how ice cold the trainer is, but gets this one to run third. And I think a lot of people, they kind of cross these horses out immediately when we see 0 for 15, 0 for 20. But if they start hitting the board, that could just be exactly like we talked about with, with D Wayne Lucas. As we kind of bring the, uh, the pod back around to the beginning where these trainers, these jockeys who are ice cold, it only takes a couple board hits before, Oh, they won two the next day, and maybe you had stopped playing that day, or you couldn't play that day because of golf or for whatever other reasons. And by keeping, like you had said, in touch with track trends and just realizing, okay, you know, 0 for 23, hit the board here, only had one other board hit the whole other weekend, like, or the whole other of the whole rest of the meet. This might be one where we can look forward to now, you know, maybe not during the week, but maybe next week they'll have another one like this that can run at 15 to 1 and finish out trifectas or exactas. Yeah, no, I mean, you bring up a great point. A lot of times people notice when, like, a Lucas wins these races, but sometimes these under-the-radar board finishes on on long shots is actually a a strong signal that the barn's heating up and not everyone's aware of it. So, you know, maybe Jinx Fires might be a a guy that might spring one next weekend uh, after this board hit. So I think it's a good point. That is all the time we have for today's podcast. I do want to thank my special guest, Clay Sanders, for coming back on, talking all things Oakland Park with myself. Clay, what do we got going forward? Any uh, any runners coming up this weekend? Uh, we have a couple this weekend, uh, a couple claimers. I don't think we have the, um, the PPs out just yet. Um, but if uh, people want to have a horse to keep your eye on, we have a Philly almost gone rocket that's probably about three or four uh, weeks away from uh, making a debut. I think she's one that might be live uh, first time out. So keep an eye on her. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Spencer. I want to thank everyone who listens to this podcast and the rest of the podcast on the, the Money Media Network. Also want to thank my special guest, Clay Sanders, for coming on, talking all things Oaklawn Park with myself. This show has been a production of the Money Media. In the Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Forentel. Our chief career officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl. We will see you next time.